Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. If you're at home with little ones right now, or with kids who aren't so little, you are facing some challenges in caring for your children's well-being. How about their spiritual well-being? What does church look like for you right now, for example? Are you now the ad hoc Sunday school teacher on top of everything else? Or what if you're listening right now as a spiritual caregiver, a children's pastor, rector, bishop, godparent? What is your role right now toward the children in your care? How do you shepherd children from a distance? And how do you help parents? We'll hear today from Dr. Robin Flock-Turner, an Anglican children's ministry pastor and curriculum author, on some principles for children's ministry today that are pretty radical. And by radical, I mean old-fashioned and radically simple. Intergenerational relationships and reliance on the Holy Spirit are at the heart, Robin says, of forming real community with children and of being able to give to them and receive from them ministry of lasting value. She talks here with us about how she's seen these things work in her own ministry and how we might apply them in our families and congregations in this moment, even if we don't have all the bells and whistles. But if you'd like a few bells and whistles, she does mention some resources you might check out, including her website with free lesson downloads, and you can find all of those in the show notes. We hope you'll find this conversation thought-provoking and prayer-provoking as we walk alongside our youngest sisters and brothers in Christ in this challenging time. I've known you for a few years, but I don't remember your backstory. What drew you to children's ministry? And then what is your particular calling in this field? What's your particular contribution? 
So I have always enjoyed working with children, even when I was in middle school and high school, I was often volunteering with kids and my first jobs were with children. And I went into college thinking that I would teach um, in a school setting. And so I went in as an education major and switched about halfway through to Christian formation and ministry, um, anticipating working in ministry, but actually decided pretty adamantly that I didn't want to work in children's ministry. But all of my internships were with children um, and all of my my job opportunities that were kind of arising were with children. And I started to really reevaluate why why did I not want to work with children? And I realized it was that I didn't want to do what I saw a lot of what was happening. I didn't want to do a kind of an attractional model. I didn't want um, to be coordinating games and crafts as much as I wanted to be thinking about things that were a little bit deeper and looking at intergenerational community and engaging children in worship um, and just thinking through things maybe from a different lens. And so as I kind of switched perspectives, I did end up beginning to work a full-time in children's ministry about seven or eight years ago. And I feel like I have kind of this two-pronged commitment of really welcoming children as they are and connecting with them and helping them feel valued in the community, but then also helping churches as a whole welcome children because it's not just children who benefit or need church. The whole church needs children. And so if there aren't children in the church, the whole church suffers. And if there are children that are being engaged well in a church, it's not just, oh, the children are being prepared for something for the future or the children are benefiting, but there are single people and empty nesters and teenagers and married couples without children that are benefiting in addition to kind of the traditional nuclear family that we think of when we think of family ministry. So it sounds like you're saying that having the actual presence of children among people in a congregation gathered for worship, that the actual presence of children mediates something from God to the rest of us, that they mediate some kind of gift uniquely. Right. There's this mutual transformation that's coming from community that God is working through all of us. Um, And so it's mutually transforming within the adult community, but there's no reason that children don't also engage in that mutual transformation, that the Holy Spirit is working through each of us. And so it's not just ministering to children. It's realizing that the children have a ministry by their presence, by their engagement, by their learning, that I am learning something more by watching and engaging alongside a four-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old. They're learning, they're curious, they're interested, and it can spark our curiosity. So when I hear a nine-year-old read the Psalms aloud and she says, for my whole life, I will follow you, that means a whole lot more to me to hear a nine-year-old saying that than, or it means something different to me to hear a nine-year-old saying that than to hear somebody in their 30s or 40s saying that. It, it brings a different perspective to, to the whole congregation as they listen to that, because here is a nine-year-old that is, has no idea what awaits for her in her life. But when she proclaims that, it, it makes us all think about it from just a little bit different of a nuanced perspective. Hmm. Robin, you have run children's ministries in both large churches and small churches. 
And when I've looked at, and you also have a, a website, by the way, called worshipwithchildren.com. Okay, we'll we'll include a link to it in the show notes so people can go and um, download free resources um, for children's ministries, for teachers, and um, they also connect to the lectionary. Is that right? Well, there are some there are some lessons. I'll be honest, I haven't kept up with the lesson portion as much in the last couple of years. I was in school full time, and then I was um, just d- taking a different approach with my own congregation. There are a lot of resources for connecting with the liturgical year with children, and for connecting intergenerationally with children. Um, so that would would be probably would be most applicable right now to families and churches. But there are also individual lessons, not lectionary based, but they're organized by scripture passage. Okay, that's great. Well, when I have looked at the work that you've done, Robin, and when I look at the curriculum that you've developed on your website, and when I see you with children, I also see this emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit in a child's life and discerning the work of the Holy Spirit in a child's life, helping them to discern the work of the Holy Spirit in their own lives and as appropriate to their own developmental stages. And then also teaching, not just teaching the children, but part of children's ministry being teaching congregations to share ministry with children and also receive ministry through the Holy Spirit from children. How have you in large and small congregations um, concretely, practically helped congregations and children come together um, to play mutually edifying roles in the spiritual life of that congregation? So this is something that is especially particular, I think, to sacramental traditions, um, that when we baptize a child and we invite the work of the Holy Spirit in them, we're making a commitment as a community to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in their their lives. And we say that we want to support that. And so it's been important to me, whether I'm in a staff meeting or a conversation with parents or equipping volunteers or just trying to think creatively for my own work, what does it look like to fulfill that commitment to recognize this child, not just as a member of the community, but as someone who we have invited the Holy Spirit to work in their life and that we can be listening to God through them, that they are are ministering to us. That's looked a couple of different ways. I think one way that's often overlooked is that by participating in the Sunday services, children are engaging with prayer and with worship and with the Holy Spirit. And we we affirm that in adults all the time. And sometimes we think that children have to be doing something specific and different in order, in order for that to be true for them. And so I think just first of all, recognizing that when children are learning the prayers, they're learning how to pray and that the God is working in their hearts and their minds. Then I think that there's the other side of things is saying, okay, so what does it look like to help children understand this more fully to make it more accessible to them? Some of that is inviting questions, um, recognizing that the Holy Spirit often prompts us to think about things differently or more fully or to be curious. Um, I think that there's something very spiritual about curiosity and wondering. And so instead of leaving a service and saying, what did you learn today? Or what did you hear today? Saying, I wonder if you have any questions about what we heard today. I think beyond that, inviting children into relationship in the community, 
uh, oftentimes through service, whether that's letting them serve as greeters or letting them serve by you know passing things out. There was a church that I was part of that during Lent had um, slips of paper, maybe like four by four inch squares of paper. And we had prompts on the top of each paper. They were all purple. And we had prompts on the top of each of them about something to do with Lent. And the children would either draw or write their responses during during the service or during part of the liturgy. And then when they came up for communion, they would put their um, kind of rolled up papers in the chicken wire cross. And then that was the same cross that on Easter morning, they brought flowers forward and flowers across. But for the six weeks of Lent, we were kind of adding these things, whether it was confessions or um, things that they were kind of giving up or ways that they were praying for justice in the world, the things that we were talking through as a congregation about with Lent, they were making their own responses and filling up the cross. And then on, on Easter morning, they were filling up the cross with the flowers. And so that's giving them something that is tangible, physical, that's prompting them to think a little bit more and reflect personally on how God is leading them through Lent in their lives. And it's reminding the congregation that children are participants in the Lenten season and in the Easter season. I would imagine too, it was a pretty moving experience week by week to watch this cross fill up with the prayers of children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And children need to be given permission to participate in Lent. Um, You know, children have things that they are grieving or that they are confessing. I mean, so much of childhood is learning to apologize to someone or learning, you know, being rebuked. Children spend so much time being, you know, being redirected or being rebuked or repenting of things. Um, And to have a season where it's, you know, it's okay to say, like, I can't do it on my own. I need God's help. That's something that's not inaccessible to a child. When we tell children that participating means being still or being quiet or being obedient, we're not actually inviting them to engage in worship. We're just telling them the proper ways to behave in church. We're working on behaviorism rather than engaging them in the liturgy or in worshiping God. Children are going to probably be a little bit louder or a little bit messier as they're learning what it is to worship and to pray and to engage with scripture and to be part of the community. But that doesn't mean that they need to check those pieces at the door or that they can't be part of the community because they're bringing those pieces with them. One of the verses that consistently comes to mind that I think needs to at least be considered is the the command to parents to not frustrate their children. And I think that sometimes, sometimes the way that services are set up is frustrating to children. And it's okay in that situation to recognize that children, their brains are working differently and their bodies are working differently. And sometimes it is, it is a benefit to the child for them to be released for a portion of the service. And I think parents and churches need to wrestle with what that looks like in their context for, you know, how old does that go? I've been in congregations where that, finishes up um, where children are in the service fully integrated from kindergarten on. I've been in services or churches where the children um, have something consistently through second grade and then third through fifth grade, they're kind of learning how to be in the service. I've been in churches where they have the option to leave all the way through fifth grade, but usually third through fifth graders are kind of starting to opt into staying in the main service. So, and I think it does depend even on, 
the needs of those children. I know children that struggle with learning disabilities, children that have just other special needs that need to be taken into consideration. So I've spoken with families that you know will say like, you know, honestly, our child does not does not go to the movie theater. We never go to a movie theater because he can't sit for longer than 20 minutes. Um, it would frustrate him. It would frustrate us. You know, we don't we don't do that, and he's seven or eight, so we're not going to ask him to do that at church on Sunday because that would frustrate him. And I think that's that's a pretty a pretty good litmus test if like something that's designed specifically for children is not able to engage a child that they would say like you know he he is at a place developmentally where this is not a possibility. I think there are other kids that could definitely be engaged with some level of intentionality from their parents, and they're not, and that grieves me. Um, and by parents, I actually also really mean that the the people that are kind of around them, you know, churches oftentimes have unofficial assigned seating um, and children kind of get to know the people that that sit near them. And so I've seen I've seen young adults and empty nesters helping out families and helping elementary age kids engage with the service in really meaningful ways. And I've seen I've seen kids that are really good at self self-occupying, you know, they'll bring their, their bag with their stickers and their Legos and their coloring books, and they will be quiet and they will be still, and they will be completely unengaged with the service. So I think, I think those are all things to take into account. And then the last thing I think that's really important to take into account for a church is what level of training the parents and adults have in engaging children in the service. So there are some resources. Um, there's a book called Parenting in the Pew, which came out in the 1980s. It was written by Dr. Robbie Castleman. It's a wonderful resource for helping parents learn how to engage with their children in ser- in the service and worship. And there's a, a updated version actually also it was published in the last 20 years. There's a reality that a lot of families that are coming with young children today, those parents didn't necessarily grow up in church or they didn't grow up in the service. If you grew up in the, going to church in the 80s or 90s, the chances that you were never in the main service in your congregation are pretty high. And so we have parents that have no idea. They're learning how to engage with the service themselves. It's hard for them to come alongside their seven, eight, nine-year-old because they're still figuring it out for themselves. People aren't getting out much these days, but they are listening to podcasts. So if you're in publishing, nonprofit ministry, church technology, vestments, or anything in between, we would love to advertise for you right here on our weekly podcast. We have hundreds of listeners a week. Our audience is cross-generational and it is growing. Just email Andrew Russell at arussell at livingchurch.org. That's A-R-U-S-S-E-L-L at livingchurch.org and he'll get you started. So it sounds like a an integrated approach is to both be meeting children where they are, uh, while at the same time treating them as um, fully human. They're they're smaller. They're humans whose brains, whose bodies, as you said, work differently. So acknowledging that difference, while at the same time integrating them into the community, so that from both sides, from their difference as children and as individual children at different stages, but also in their 
sameness as fellow pilgrims, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, from both directions, they're brought in, taught how to worship, introduced to the life of the church, and um, hopefully are learning um, how to love God in all of this. Absolutely. And what one question that's been helpful is, what would our services look like if we recognized that a quarter, a third, whatever percentage of your church's children are about three and a half feet tall and illiterate. What, <laughs> how, what would, what changes would we make in our setup um, so that they could see, so that they could understand, so that they could follow along, so that they could engage? Those, that's a, that's a really helpful question when you pose it to a group and say, you know, about a third of our congregation is actually not able to read right now. So how are we going to help them? So let's bring some of this into the present moment because as I'm hearing descriptions of gathering together and it will happen eventually um, for us, Lord willing, sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, church looks a lot different right now. And you were just hired, actually, you were just hired as a children's minister at an Episcopal parish. So how are you and the rector of this parish thinking about the shape of children's ministry moving forward? I'm returning to the same parish, but there's been a turnover in families and there aren't a lot of children um, in this community at this time. And the children that are there are mostly like three and a half and under. So um, it's, it's a unique, it's a unique time and it's a unique space to kind of be re-entering into that. So in the long term, we would love to do something that is very intentional and set apart for children to be interacting with each other um, especially during these kind of preschool years, preparing them for being in the integrated fully into the main service. You know, ages two and three, what does that look like? And I think some of it is just continuing to create a positive atmosphere where children are saying, we get to go to church today. Um, we get to go be with be with our community. You know, sometimes that is that is the gift that we are we are giving and nurturing children is to say like, you know, we get to be part of our congregation. We get to go to church. We get to see our our friends and people who love us well. For a, a lot of churches, um, well, one of the things that children's ministry leaders and churches in general are wrestling with is that there is a golden opportunity right now to be equipping parents and seeing ways that we have maybe not equipped parents as much in the past that parents have outsourced to the church kind of saying like, we bring our kids on Sunday. We're expecting you to kind of figure it out. Um, the problem is that a lot of parents are really maxed out. They're becoming homeschool teachers. They're becoming um, their their child's whole play world. You know, they they are trying to keep on top of so many things while working from home that to say like, well, this is the time to to quit parents to disciple their children is very well intentioned and probably necessary and can feel like one more burden that's being put on families. And so trying to figure out how to create things that are intentional, but also accessible, that the parents are not frustrating the children again, but that uh, the children are also not frustrating the parents and recognizing like, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's okay to say like, this is not the year that we're memorizing all the verses. This is not the year that we're doing all the activities as a church. This might be the year that children learn the rhythms of what's important as a congregation that we, we actually don't have the longest homilies because we're sitting outside, but we always have communion. So maybe this is the year that we talk a lot about why it's important that we come together and we participate in the Eucharist. 
And that can that be a conversation that happens for a two and three year old as easily as it can for a six to nine year old on a different level for sure. But they're learning those rhythms of, you know, first we come and we listen and we sing and we listen some more and we say these prayers and we take the Eucharist and we talk with our friends and we go home. Like these are the rhythms that that are important for us as a church. I would think that this is also a really ideal time for families with children at home to be learning prayer. Absolutely. The things that we're anxious about, the things that we're excited about, the things that we're sad about, all of those things are things that we can talk with God about. And to be able to give those fears or anxieties or worries or frustrations and to validate all of those things. Parents in so many ways have a front seat to what's going on in their children's inner world in a different way, just because of the amount of time and proximity they're spending together. I was talking with someone um, early, I guess early April, um, and she has a number of children and she was observing the differences in how her different children were reacting to stay-at-home orders. Two in particular were struggling a lot, and one was happy as a clam, that she was just (laughs) thriving being at home. And she said, you know, like, this is important for me to keep in mind down the road that that she is probably just not the person that needs to be on the go all the time, that she's not going to have to be involved in every extracurricular to be happy, that that she might be content with a smaller friend group. Like we're just seeing these little elements in kindergarten, first grade age that are different from two of her sisters. And it's okay to recognize that. And then it's also okay to recognize for the older siblings that they are really struggling with the lack of contact outside the home, that they they need more people outside of their home. And so validating those experiences for the children and then also for all of those things saying, you know, like this is hard for all of us in different ways and we can pray about that. You know, we can talk with God about what that what that looks like. Um, and prayers for children are oftentimes not highly, well, some children are highly verbal and those prayers are highly verbal and some children are not highly verbal and their prayers are going to be short, but no less uh, something that they they care deeply about. Um, but to be able to pray for themselves and work through their own emotions in prayer and also pray for others who are struggling and thinking about how they can have compassion towards others and asking asking the Lord to work through them and in them to continue to encourage others in their community or to have a good attitude or to bear fruit as they as they learn to be with their family all the time. Like those are all things that parents can model for their children, but also that children can engage with directly. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, too, that an important ministry for parents at this time, not that it's an easy one, is to take the opportunity to really pay attention to your children and to pay attention to things that you don't notice when you're busy and you're more free to leave um, and to spend time apart. I would imagine that a similar ministry can also happen between spouses uh, and between roommates, et cetera. But um, to have, in terms of children's spirituality, um, for children to be a little more deeply, carefully seen, noticed, prayed for by parents and by um, by siblings as well, seems like that could be a really deep moment of of discipleship and spiritual development. Absolutely. To be paying attention to that specifically to the child, but also to for the parents to be praying, you know, Lord, how are you leading my child right now? Where are you at work in my child's life? And how can I come alongside that to recognize that God might already have a w- good work that he's working on 
in their hearts and their minds or something that he's attending to that that the parent can come alongside. And so being attentive to the, the current work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of children and then seeking to partner with that rather than kind of setting up an agenda of like, okay, so here are the things we're going to work on. And it's, it's both. And there's, you know, there's elements that you're recognized. Okay. It's time that we we need to work on patience right now, or we need to work on our, our grumpy attitudes right now. Those are, those are parts of family rhythms, but to also say like, you know, Lord, how are you working in my child's struggle with fear or anxiety right now? And how can I come alongside that rather than just Googling resources for like, how to address fear and anxiety in children, but really spending time in prayer and in um, seeking seeking God's direction in that. Now, this is all really, these are beautiful resources for engaging as a body when we are able to be in the physical presence of one another as families or as a socially distanced congregation. Is there any encouragement or any resources that you have in mind for online worship in regards to children? So for churches that are continuing to meet online rather than in person, this is a really unique season where parents can oftentimes pause the the live stream or the video or the recording, whatever it is, and explain things to their children. You know, did you understand what they just said? Or or even if a child, you know, says like, you know, I need to run to the bathroom or something like that. The number right. of the number of trips to the restroom that happen about ten minutes into the homily are right. are frequent at that age. And so the parent can oh. say like, "That's fine. We'll wait." You know, if I'll only just pause. If only we could always pause homilies for potty breaks and snack breaks. It's true, and I think that this is a, a time where where parents can say like, "I recognize you have that need." Like, why don't you go take care of it next week? Let's try to take care of it beforehand. <laughs> we'll wait. Like the service is not getting, is not getting shorter. Um, but the, also that parents can be thinking through like, okay, so why is this a struggle for my child right now? Like if this is coming not from a physical need, but from boredom or distraction, what can we do as a family creatively right now to engage? Could, could we be drawing pictures of this? Could we be listening to, for specific words? Have we, have we looked up the verses in a scripture passage? Are we are we trying to follow along in our Bibles? Those are all things that you can you have the time and the kind of um, space luxury because of online worship to be able to do that. Aside from that, I think that this is a time that families can also be intentional about growing in some biblical literacy. There are some great online resources for children to continue to understand how the scriptures fit together, what that looks like. There's one a resource that I'm always impressed with called What's in the Bible. And it was um, was created by Phil Vischer. And he consulted with a lot of professors, um, New Testament, Old Testament theologians, researchers, and looking at how do you introduce the narrative of scripture um, to children in an engaging way. I have learned things from What's in the Bible, um, and it's all available streaming online. He's coming from an evangelical context, <clears throat> but um, as I understand it, his research for this was very ecumenical. He's wanting to create a resource that Christians coming from many different places can use in conversation with children. I know Catholic families that use what's in the Bible. I know conservative evangelical families that use what's in the Bible. I know mainline churches that use it um, and all have all have benefited from it. Yeah, great. Now, finally, Robin... What kind of encouragement would you like to give to 
other children's ministers right now. And if someone is listening who is um, not a children's minister specifically, which is a lot of you, um, but also if you're listening and you have some kind of um, oversight over children's ministry, if you're a rector, heck, if you're a bishop, um, if you are a godparent, what is just the one thing, if you could boil it down to one idea or one principle uh, that people could keep in mind when they can't be physically present with the children. I should have given you this one in advance, but I just thought of it. I think if I had to boil it down to one thing that each person in the community could be could be working through, whether it's a godparent or a rector or a parent, it would be to be thoughtfully praying about what does it look like in this season for me to fulfill my vows at this child's baptisms to them and to God. What it, what does it look like in this in this season? And that's going to look different for a toddler versus an elementary schooler, for a child who's really struggling versus a child who is thriving with extra time with family and at home. For large churches and small churches, based on your setting, like it's, being faithful to that commitment is going to look different. But I think spending time in thoughtful prayer about what does it look like for me to be faithful to the children that are in my context that I've been asked to come alongside is an important thing to be sitting with and that the Lord will open up opportunities in that for them to, to, to come alongside the children in their community. And that might be, that might be praying from afar for that child. And that might be calling them up on the phone. That might be sending some type of letters or watching um, some type of video online together and then discussing it or sending encouragement to parents and saying like, you know, I wish I could be there right now, but I'm, I'm praying for you often, you know, whatever that is, it's going to look different in those different contexts. But I think that there's, there's really a space here for intentional prayer and asking the Lord that that prayer would lead to, would lead to fruitful action. I saw a picture, one of our partners uh, sent me a photo of a little girl. She's probably three years old and she's watching the streamed service on a Sunday from her rector and she is up against the TV screen. I'm sure there are plenty of pictures on people's iPhones like this, but she has her nose to the TV screen. Um, the woman who sent me the picture said she probably is also a little in love with the rector, but... Um, I have seen other pictures as well of kids who are just so up close to the laptop screen, the phone screen, the TV screen, like they cannot get physically close enough. Um, so I, I would take a couple things from this picture. And one of them is that children may not know how to express it. They may not be old enough to express it or even to know how they feel or that they feel this way. But there does seem to be... Um, I wonder if people just watched their children during streaming services on Sundays um, to see, is there some kind of desire? Is there some kind of deep spiritual and physical desire to be in the presence of God with the body of Christ? And is that manifesting itself in um, physically, you know, pressing up against the flat screen TV um, as your rector is preaching? Uh, maybe it's also the kid's predilection to get as close as possible to a screen, but I think there might be something there. And then the second thing um, 
that that makes me think is that for everyone who's preaching on a Sunday, for everyone who is sending out their voice in music or in um, every lector who's reading a scripture passage and who is sending it out as part of an online service should remember this image of uh, a child's eyes on the screen and a child's ears open. And just keep that in mind to keep an awareness that there are children listening, that there are children watching. And if there's the occasional word that can be spoken in their direction, if you can look at the camera occasionally um, to, to give eye contact or just remember that your gaze on them, even though it's from a distance, is still a gaze of love and still something that's representing Christ to them and representing the body of Christ to them while they're separated from the congregation. I think keeping those things in mind could be really beautiful. And I think they align with uh, what you were saying, Robin. I love that. I love that image of the child with their little nose against the screen. And I think it's an important reminder that, you know, whether it's a parent or a children's ministries director, like we are trying to be intentional about coming alongside children. And I, I delight in my role coming alongside children and helping church families with that. And I also see part of my role as reminding the whole congregation that I am not the child's priest, um, that we have ordained priests in our congregations, and that is not me. And so like helping rectors or helping uh, other ordained clergy in the congregation connect with the children because children need to know that they are part of the whole church and that this is their priest too, and that they are welcome to the, the table at the Eucharist, you know, that they are part of that group that is being pastored well. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning blog, Covenant, at livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.